welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today, I am bringing episode 53 to you all, and I'm excited to have you here. So I've been getting a lot of great questions recently, which are fueling these episodes, so I'm glad that I get the opportunity to share these with you all, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. So I'm going to start with a recent question that was asked in a check-in just earlier this week. Elliot, how do I keep my journey top of mind? I find myself slipping into autopilot very, very regularly. And I'll be honest, there are times where I like to take a step back and really try and put myself in the shoes of others to give the best possible answer. I think realistically, there is usually a universal principle, behavior, or habit the person can adopt that will work, but it is always important to understand the nuances and the individuality of the situation. But before I go into this, ironically, I want to now contradict what I just mentioned and take us on a little bit of a side note. Like as humans, we're very similar, but we're also very different at the same time. I think most of us know that. Sometimes we have the tendency, and trust me, we've all been there as well, to think that our situation is the most unique in the world and that it must require individual and different response to solve our challenge than just the universal principles out there. However, when we peel back the layers, as unique as your situation might be, the answer or the way forward is usually quite simple and universal. And I want to give you an example of a lady I used to work with who did night shifts. And when I looked into the research and there was a study done in 2018 or a survey or something along those lines, and it suggested that Britain's night workers now account for one in nine, 11.5% employees. Most of this being in health and social care and then service workers, etc. So when you think of this example of someone who works night shifts, you may think that it is a very nuanced individualistic protocol that's going to be required to get them progress. And to some degree, that is correct. We are going to be taking a more in-depth look at the quality of their sleep as their natural sleep rhythm is going to be (laughs) very disrupted. They may be deficient in things like vitamin D because they won't be seeing as much daylight as our person who's working in the daytime and sleeping at night. And they might be more susceptible to mental health challenges and have, you know, trouble with maintaining like a solid social life, which can have some different challenges as well. However, when we do look at it from a very broad perspective, the universals remain the same. They still need regular exercise. They still need to eat high quality, nutrient-dense foods and ensure their macros and calories align with their goals. They still need high quality sleep, even if it is during the day. They still need to adequately hydrate. They still need to manage their stress. And although they are at a disadvantage with their work schedule, they can still get results. So let's come back to the lady I worked with when I was a personal trainer in Oxford. She did work in healthcare and regularly worked night shifts. She'd usually train before or after her shifts. Sometimes that would be at 5 p.m. and then she'd head to work around 7 p.m. or she'd come into the gym once her night shift had finished in the early morning and then have her dinner, which was obviously in the morning, and head to bed, you know, get up the next day ready for her shift again. She'd prepare her meals on her days off or she had, you know, some time in the early morning or evening, depending on the shift she was working. She would adequately hydrate during her shifts and her waking hours and she was still 
able to get amazing results. Her situation was a lot more challenging than others, but she took her circumstances for what they were and worked around them. It was as simple as that. So shout out to Carmen if you're listening. She was an awesome client to work with. I think it must have been a good six or seven years ago now. So the purpose of that side note was that most people have something going on that makes their journey a little bit more challenging and it makes it a little bit more challenging to achieve their goals. Night shifts, children, looking after family, multiple businesses, whatever it is, you probably have one. And these are tough. Yet the reality is, is that if you stick to the universal principles and do the best within your circumstances, you will get results. If you tell yourself that your situation makes it impossible and that you're at this enormous disadvantage and then you choose to do nothing about it, you won't get results. It's harsh, but it's true. So coming back onto the topic and just to clarify, the person who asked this question and that side note, that's completely unrelated, but it did make me think this because if this is a lot of what people say, they give me different excuses as to why they can't get the results. But the reality is, is that we just need to apply those universals. So coming back onto this topic, and I started thinking about some of the tips I'd give to other clients in this situation. And I also referred to something that I can dip in and out of, which is my meditation practice. I actually find it very, very hard to stay consistent with that. So it was good to draw those two parallels. And I came up with three things that I think will be immensely helpful. And the first one is a little cliche, I'll be honest, but it's so, so important to ingrain this into your mind. You need to remember why you're doing this in the first place and dig beyond the initial response. And let me break this down a little bit more. So some people are incredibly open and honest and you know, you meet them for the first time and they're able to just speak their truth and that's fantastic. Others, which is understandable, are just not. I was a bit of closed book in the past as well. So there will be times when I ask someone you know, in their application form to, to put down what their goal is and why it's important to them. And they might give me a typical answer like, I want to be healthier and lose weight because I'm currently not comfortable or it's important to me. And this is true, but that doesn't really hit me deep emotionally and it probably won't with you either. So really ask yourself, why do you want to be healthy? So if you're coming up with answers like, I'm fearful that around this age, my parents got certain diseases and illnesses that I really want to avoid, that's powerful. I'm embarrassed that I'm successful in other areas of my life, but I can't get a hold of my health that's powerful. I feel bad that I don't have the energy to play with my kids and I need to sit down too regularly, even in my 30s and 40s. I'm not even that old yet. I don't want my health and my quality of life to decline with age. I don't want it to all go downhill from here. Now that right there, that's real. And I'm not saying you should scare yourself into doing this, but if these are your real feelings, get them out, make them real and remind yourself of them on a regular basis. Because if most of us be on the surface, The things that we do on a day-to-day basis usually have a much deeper meaning. We just need to tap into this. And then we also want to think about the opposite. How will it make you feel when your blood work is perfect and you're not at risk of any of these weight-related diseases? How will you feel when you get control of your health for the first time in your life and can thrive in all areas now? How will it feel when your kids can barely keep up with you and you're running after them all day? Like feel that all. Get really passionate and emotional about it. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm saying this and that's what I want you to feel. And then the second part of this is be honest with yourself. So many people don't want to admit that their priority is looking good. They feel it's narcissistic. They feel it's vain and they're ashamed to say it. So they'll tell you something like, oh, you know, my health is my priority or my kids. 
as that sounds like it's the right thing to say. And although they might be part of it, it's not fully the truth. And when it gets hard, those things that you said are actually the reasons you're doing it instead of the real reason, which is you just want to look better and you want to feel more confident, you won't be as motivated because you'll be leaning on the wrong thing. And I started my journey because I wanted to look better and I wasn't happy with how my body looked in the mirror. I could not have cared less about my health when I was like 14, 15 years old, if I'm completely honest. As I've grown older, it has become more about performing well, longevity, set an example to my clients and my community. But a big part of it is still looking my best. And because I know why this is important to me, I never doubt my journey or why I do what I do. And in fact, if it wasn't for me wanting to look better, I might have not started this and impacted all the people that I have now. Your reason for starting doesn't need to be altruistic or selfless or all about other people other than yourself. It can develop into something more socially meaningful, but don't deny what motivates you and keeps you going. If it's about proving your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend wrong, use it as fuel. If it's about walking into the office with confidence, use it as fuel. If it's about being comfortable at the side of the pool, use it as fuel. I'll be honest, the more like kind of proving people wrong mentality might not fuel you forever, but just like my reasons have evolved, so will yours. So that's tip number one, understand why you're doing this and get real with yourself. Then write it down on your notes and look at it as frequently as you need to. Don't fancy a workout? Look at your notes. Don't think of this as I need to exercise because my coach or my doctor said so. You say to yourself, this workout is taking me one step closer to protecting myself from these weight related diseases, showing up at the pool, looking my best, keeping up with my kids in the park so so much more powerful and incentivizing okay on to tip number two which is set alarms to remind you of the new habits and lifestyle that you're building most of us are aware that we're running on autopilot most of the time just take your typical monday we wake up at the same time we go about our mornings in the same way as we always do we take the same route to work we barely have to think about it your day is full of things and of course at the time they're pressing they need to be done that email needs to be responded to need to help your child with their homework. The coffee meeting needs to be attended to that you promised your friend you would go and attend. Days, weeks, months can go by on autopilot. The longer we've been doing it too, the harder it will be to snap out of this routine as well. And if you're listening to this podcast, you have a phone. If you have a phone, you can set an alarm. Set two to three random alarms at different times in a day and label it self-check-in. You'll see the alarm and be like, why is that going off? And then realize, ah, yes, you've been snapped out of autopilot and you can ask yourself, am I keeping my goals in mind? Maybe it's 2 p.m. and you're probably about to skip lunch or you have skipped lunch, in fact, and now that's your cue to go eat so you don't then you know, leave yourself hungry and open to making bad choice later. Maybe it's 6 p.m. and you have a spin class at 6.30 and that's your reminder to wrap up work and leave the office. Maybe you're on your way to a friend's house. They've just freshly baked a cake, but before you entered, you got that self-check-in reminder and you were able to go into their home and just say, hey, a coffee is more than enough. I'm trying to stay on track with my goals. Your memory and your willpower will probably let you down in the early stages. We have these tools at our disposal and if they're able to bring you back to the present and allow you to be a bit more conscious, use them to your advantage. You can use these at any point of the journey as well. At the start, they'll be really helpful and especially when your initial motivation drops off or perhaps even periods on your journey 
journey where you have more socials or it's just generally getting tougher. And on to tip number three, immerse yourself in whatever it is that you want to achieve. Let's say this is the first episode of the Simply Fit podcast you've listened to. You have at least 50 episodes to catch up on, which is, yeah, very, very lucky for you. <laughs> Let's say that every single morning for the next 50 days, you listen to an episode. You might be sick of my voice at that point, granted, but at that point, health and fitness is going to be so present in your mind. 50 days is a long time. Each episode is around 30 minutes long. So that'd be 25 hours at least of listening to health and fitness content. So even if the rest of your day has nothing to do with health and fitness, your family doesn't care, no one at work is interested, at least you know you kick off your day with something that helps you keep conscious of your goals. And to clarify, it doesn't need to be this podcast. It would be great if it was, but it doesn't need to be. It can be any health and fitness content you enjoy. Just hearing these things on a day-to-day basis will help. It also doesn't have to be podcasts or audiobooks either. Connect with more friends who are on this journey. Create a WhatsApp group with all your friends or connections that you have who are on a similar journey to you. Follow some health and fitness accounts that you enjoy seeing. All of these are going to be prompts, reminders of what you're trying to achieve and will also make you feel like you're not doing this on your own. This is something I did unconsciously when I first started. I was in school. No one was into the gym, nor did anyone particularly care about the gym. But every day I'd go onto YouTube, watch several videos, mainly because I enjoyed them, but it was incredibly comforting to know that other people were just as engrossed in this journey as I was and so dedicated to their goals. So there you have it. If you're struggling to keep your journey top of your mind, you can first remember why you're doing this and go deep. Next, set yourself prompts during the day to keep your goals top of mind. Finally, immerse yourself in content and an environment that lends to your goals. So I'm not one to pat my back, but I think that's some solid advice. And I guarantee you, if you do all of those, you'll stay on track and you'll remain motivated. So on to the next. Elia, if you could only ever eat five foods again to keep yourself healthy and in shape, what would they be and why? I absolutely love this question, but I will preface this with the fact that we should always strive to eat a diverse and wide array of foods. I do like to keep my food sources simple, but if I'm out at a restaurant, I'll try and order something that I might not typically make for myself. If I had my own private chef, on the other hand, I'd probably have a much wider range of food too. For example, I was walking through the supermarket, I think it was on Tuesday, in fact, just a couple of days ago, and obviously it's autumn and you see pumpkins everywhere. And I was thinking how good it would be to have a pumpkin soup. But as I'm traveling, I don't have a food processor. I don't actually even know how to turn my oven on. True story. I'm just not going to do it. I do really love trying new foods, but I do fall victim and opt for simplicity the majority of the time. But back to the question, if I could only pick five foods to stay in shape and keep healthy, I think I'm going to be smart here and pick one protein item, one carb, one fat, one source of veg, and then one source of fruit. I think that will cover my basis quite nicely from a health standpoint at least. So let's get started with protein. I think this one is super, super easy for me. I would definitely pick eggs. Sorry to all you vegans out there, but eggs from a nutritional perspective are absolutely phenomenal. And in that whole form, you won't necessarily get a huge amount of protein, but if you use like egg whites as well, you can easily bump this up. And I generally do this on most mornings. I'll have two soft boiled eggs as I like it when the yolks are runny. I also think I'm right in saying that you actually get more nutrients when they are less cooked yolks. So bear that in mind. Then I buy bottled egg whites and I have a spinach, mushroom, and egg white omelet. And then you get the best of both worlds. You get a decent amount of protein and a solid amount of fats as well. Eggs are super versatile too. If you want to keep your 
fats lower. Like I said, you can just go for the whites. They provide plenty of volume when you do have them in egg white form. That's definitely my number one choice. Full of nutrients, good for satiety, a great protein source. So on to the next one, fat source. I think this is relatively easy too avocados all day. It was a choice between avocado, butter, and dark chocolate, but I think avocado just takes it for me. It's another food that's in my daily repertoire. It's truly delicious, especially with some sea salt and uh, sourdough. That's the hipster in me talking. But here's a fun fact for you on that note, actually, of hipsters. Avocado consumption has skyrocketed in the last two decades. From an average annual consumption of 1.5 pounds per person in 1998, it's now 7.5 pounds. Well, that was in 2017, and I reckon that's gone up since as well. That's a lot of more avocados that people are eating. And for good reason, avocados have tons of nutrients in them. Most people will assume that bananas are the foods that are most rich in potassium, but avocados have more than bananas. It's a rich in antioxidant food, fiber, the list goes on. Most people will categorize it in the superfood category. And for fairly good reasons as well, as you know, the amount of nutrients you're getting per serving is pretty damn phenomenal. I will usually eat half an avocado per day for breakfast. And then sometimes in other meals, I will have it, you know, on the side. It depends on the meal really. And if you like them, 100% try and consume them as regularly as you can. Just remember that they obviously do have a decent amount of fat in them, which equates to calories. So even if they are healthy and good for you, if you overconsume calories and you know you have like five avocados a day, among other carbs and fats, you're probably going to start running into some troubles. So on to the next, and this is honestly where it gets tougher. For my carb source, it was a real toss up between sourdough bread, sweet potato, and oats. But if I'm honest, oats don't always sit well with my stomach. So I'm going to just take these off the table. If we were going for something from a nutrient perspective, I'd probably go for sweet potato. However, if I can only eat these five foods, it has to be sourdough. I did really think this through. Like I really did. I contemplated arguing that maybe I would bake myself and create some sweet potato bread, but I didn't know that if I was allowed to use, you know, baking soda and other ingredients to make my uh, sweet potato bread in this hypothetical scenario. So if I am allowed other condiments like this, maybe sweet potato, but for these five foods, sourdough and again specifically sourdough not any generic bread and I will tell you why sourdough typically contains more nutrients and antioxidants than traditional bread and the fermentation process helps the mineral absorption process too it generally digests well for most people due to the lower gluten content of course it does still contain some gluten but less is going to be better for those with sensitivities and finally the most important aspect is delicious some of the best bread I've ever tasted is sourdough probably a close second would be rye. It's another staple of my day. I love how I've just built a breakfast basically at these free foods so far, but I have it almost every day when it's accessible. I'll have it in the mornings and sometimes even in the evenings as well. I appreciate that some people can't digest bread too well or they respond adversely to it. However, I personally find it to be one of the easiest digesting foods in my repertoire. And I also find it quite filling compared to other breads. So this is absolutely going to be my third choice. All right, on to my vegetable and fruits now. And uh, for anyone who calls me out and tells me an avocado is a fruit, I am highly aware of this, first and foremost. Right, for vegetables, I'm going to be honest here. I was going to say tomatoes, but then I googled it to double check and it turns out it is actually a fruit, which sucks because I don't want to use my fruit sauce on a tomato. My rationale was that I would be able to make sauces and soups out of them, but after reflecting, my vegetable sauce, considering I can't have tomatoes, would be carrots. I don't even need to go into the health benefits of carrot or any other vegetable, as a matter of fact. I mainly picked this one for a taste perspective, to be completely honest. 
And cooking carrots in butter is absolutely delicious. But in this theoretical scenario, I wouldn't have butter. So what I could do and what I've kind of brought up in my head is I'll make avocado oil out of my avocados and cook my carrots in this. So I hope you guys are going to be putting as much thought into this as I have done. Okay, so we've got eggs, avocado, sourdough, and carrots. So on to my fruit sauce. And this is a toss-up between bananas and watermelon for me. These are probably my two favorite fruits. Forgive me if my fruit choice isn't as sophisticated as yours, but they are definitely my favorite. So if I'm factoring in the question and remembering the part where it says stay in shape as well, so you know the five foods that are gonna keep you healthy and stay in shape, I would have to choose watermelon. I can eat a banana in like under 10 seconds and barely feel like I ate anything. And in reality, I've just consumed like 25 grams of carbs. If I was gonna try and consume 25 grams of carbs worth of watermelon, I'd probably be bloated as it's an incredibly satiating fruit. And obviously a lot of the makeup is water, of course. I have two conditions though, considering we are in this hypothetical scenario. The watermelon has to be good quality. I remember traveling to Mauritius and it literally tasted like they put sugar on top of the watermelon. It was ridiculous. It was so rich and red, literally the best watermelon I had in my life. If it's like that pale red kind of plastically tasting watermelon, then I'm not doing it. Well, that's This is not a fair, uh, <laughs> this is not a fair condition of these five foods. Right. Second condition on that though, is that someone needs to cut it up for me. <laughs> I'm so good at eating fruit when it's chopped up. I appreciate I am sounding a little bit like a little child here, but it's just so much easier and appealing to consume when it's all cut up and ready to go. So those are my five foods. I'm pretty certain I could stay in good shape, get plenty of nutrients, and be fairly satisfied for those as well. Obviously, we wouldn't want to minimize our food choices that much, but it is a good idea to maybe have like 5, 10, maybe even 15 core foods that you base most of your nutrition around. What you might find is that you've already got these in place, but being a bit more intentional about it could be helpful. It's a really great way to find out what your body digests well. It's a great way to have consistent energy levels, satiety, and the simplicity, of course, makes things easier too. But when you can, try a diverse range of foods. So that was quite fun, I have to say. Let's wrap this up with our final training question. This is a really interesting one. So Elliot, does wearing a mask during training impact your performance? So it seems as if the rules in different countries around wearing a mask in the gym have been quite different. I found in my recent experience in the countries I've been in, I have had to wear them, but I actually put up an Instagram poll. Thank you for everyone who voted, by the way, uh, to ask people in the UK if they'd had to wear them. And it looks like the majority, and literally I think just one person said yes, everyone else said no, which is really interesting because in Lisbon late last year, that was like autumn of 2020, you didn't have to wear one at all. Although one thing that I do have to say, which was absolutely bizarre as I was told I wasn't allowed to wear a hat in the gym. Like that is one of the most bizarre rules I'd ever known, but I digress. In Dubai earlier this year, you had to wear a mask, but between your exercises, you could pull it down, which I think was actually quite good to be completely honest. In Istanbul, I didn't have to wear one. In Spain, my experience was that you had to wear it and it had to like literally cover your nose. Otherwise a gym instructor would come up to you and make you pull it up. And then currently in Mexico, where I am at the moment, you technically do have to wear it, but they tend to be quite relaxed. And I have to say, training with your mouth and nose fully covered, like when I was in Spain, even during your rest periods, was pretty challenging to get used to at first. I know I felt more breathless after the sets, and there was quite like a big urge to pull it down. However, after a few weeks, I have to be honest, I got used to it. And although it was still a bit irritating, like it didn't really bother me that much. And if I'm honest, the whole mask thing, full stop, doesn't concern me too much. Like I prefer a world without, and hopefully one day we'll get there. But if a country chooses to, I respect the rule and also 
feel that for those who are actually having to work through them, you know, sit in their offices all day or, you know, be in a restaurant or making coffees, like I feel for those people more than I do myself in this situation. So although the thought of impact and performance didn't really cross my mind, I was asked like a couple of times and how I felt with training whilst it was on. So to begin with, I want to give you my personal opinion. And I don't really feel as if the mask has adversely anyway impacted my physical performance. I'm still lifting heavy. I don't think removing it would really result in any major differences, maybe a little bit more comfort, let's say. However, I would say that consciously, like sometimes during my heavier sets or like the longer sets where I do need to take some bigger breaths, it can bother me a little bit. So although I don't necessarily see a big difference in my lifts, it could be having a small impact. So I then did some research and just to see if anyone else had had these thoughts. And I actually found that there's been a study done on this, which was really interesting. And here are the findings. So the study's goal was to assess the physiological effects of wearing surgical masks, the typical blue ones we see everywhere, and the N95 respirators. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce that. And they did it all during a short-term strenuous workout. So they did a maximal exercise test on a bike without a mask, with a surgical mask, and with one of the N95 respirators. They took 16 male volunteers and looked at their heart rate, their respiratory rate, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, and time to exhaustion. And they found that, drumroll please, none of these significantly impacted their performance. However, when wearing the N95 mask, they did have a mild increase in their ETCO2, which is essentially the amount of carbon dioxide in their exhaled air. This makes sense considering you'd expect that a lot of the exhaled air would then be re-inhaled due to the mask. So obviously we don't want to be breathing in excess CO2 over a long period of time. And if your gym isn't well ventilated and there's a lot of people in there, then you might find yourself with some struggles temporarily. But once again, none of which seem to majorly impact the people tested. However, there are a few caveats here. It's worth considering that the age of the group and they were all relatively healthy males in this test, none of them with respiratory issues, existing respiratory issues, and, you know, those people with those, you know, maybe asthma or something along those lines will potentially have, I should say, a different experience. And it's, we also didn't bear in mind the different impact on genders and age as there isn't studies or that I could find anyway just yet. And also, because I want to focus on this from a very broad perspective, it is also worth noting that no one measured the psychological impact either. So we'll take a very extreme example of those who have claustrophobia, right? We put someone with claustrophobia in a very small space and we put someone who has no, no, no issues with claustrophobia and their response to the situation couldn't be more different, right? So we got to understand that some people might have a bit more of an adverse response from a psychological perspective than the next person. So that could be another factor. So let's sum this up. And generally speaking, it seems that once you get used to it, it shouldn't be too much of a problem. And if I'm honest, I wouldn't let it stop you from working towards your health and fitness goals. Of course, if you can train outdoors, if you can train at home, if your gym doesn't need you to wear one and you can just social distance, then amazing. But I do think once you get used to it, you'll be absolutely fine. Just be mindful if you do have some existing respiratory issues. So that is everything from me today, team. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, actually, if you are still listening, we need to have a word. I get a lot of fantastic feedback, which I'm eternally grateful for, of course. However, this doesn't transfer on Apple Podcasts. I don't see as many reviews. So if you haven't already, please leave us up to a five-star rating and review. And if you already have, ask your parents, your partner, your siblings, your colleagues, maybe even your pets. And I would greatly appreciate it. So have an amazing week ahead, team. Take care. And we'll speak very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. 
and feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.